You got a Bible? Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. I want to talk to you about it. It's a wind-up season. It's a wind-up season. And as you're going to John 2, the best way I can open it up is to share with you a scene from my family. I'm going to verbally articulate with you as opposed to put it up on the screen. My favorite rom-com. I was telling first service that when I was younger, my bandwidth of entertainment was you had to blow up cars. You had to have action. There need to be fight scenes in it. You, you had to have espionage. And then as I got older, more mature, rom-com. So my favorite rom-com. Ready for it. Here he goes. Uh, right? An audible drum roll, please. It is Hitch. Hitch. Will Smith is in it. Will Smith plays this dating counselor coach. And he's working with Kevin James, who is probably one of my, I think, one of the funniest dudes on the planet, right? King of Queens, right? And so I think his name's Albert. And Albert wants to date Allegra. I remember that because her name sounds like a pharmaceutical, right? He wants to date Allegra, but Allegra's out of his league, right? She's bougie, she's upper, she's swank, and he's this kind of like, you know, office grunt work kind of dude, right? At least that's how they betray him. And so he hires Hitch, Will Smith's character, to help me so I could get the girl, right? And so he finds out that there's an event that he's going to go with her, and it's going to be a dance. And so y'all remember this scene, right? So Will says to, uh, you know, Kevin James' character, all right, show me your dance. And so he just starts busting out, right? He starts doing the make a fire, right? He starts doing the Q-tip. Y'all remember that, right? He's doing the pizza stuff, right? And then Will says, stop, no. Don't ever do that again. And then he says, this is where you live. Remember that? This is where you live, the classic two-step. You don't know how to dance. You just, you just The most awkward point at a, at a Christian wedding is the dance reception when they open it up. Because people got saved and they left their rhythm at the altar. That's my, my theory. But anyway, back to the illustration. So he says, you live right here. And then he says this phrase, keep it between the elbows. And as he's showing him, he actually, joke within a joke, Will Smith's character slaps it. Pop, pop. I just thought some of y'all didn't get that. All right, yo, all right, all right. Chris Rock, uh, no, never mind. Okay, so he says, keep it between the elbows, right? And so they're flashing to future moment where he's actually dancing, right? Albert is dancing with Allegra, and when she's looking at him, he does. He keeps it right here. And then when she turns her back, he just like, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just, he's grooving, you know, he's doing his thing. And I just think that's so incredible. But this is what I feel like and how it applies to us. I feel like over the last now, probably we're going to come up on three years of this whole pandemic. I feel like the enemy slapped us as a North American church and says, this is where you live. This is where you keep your Christianity between the elbows. And I think there's been so much thrown at us that the enemy is trying to tell you, you keep your Christian experience to Sunday morning. You keep your prayer life to a 911 when crisis breaks out. You keep your praise to as long as the, the worship team is praying. But I dare you to praise God when they quit playing. You keep praising because the enemy's mad because he thinks he can slap you with a little bit of, of warfare and get you to live right here. But I'm telling you, church conference, we're calling you to bust a move. Come on, anybody old enough to know MC Young. Come on, bust a move. We need somebody because God is moving, but the issue is, are you moving with him? John chapter 2. Let's look at this, you guys. John chapter 2, 
It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples, there were five of them at the time. He would pick up seven later. Were invited to the wedding, and when they, <laughs> when they ran out of wine, this is, this is incredible right here. I'm going to break this down. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to a woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, that sounds harsh, like I mentioned first of all, I was raised by a southern black grandmother from Dumas, Arkansas. My grandma would have beat me down if I had said, woman, it's not my, no, but this in the original is different. It really means like lady. It's not like disrespectful, but he isn't calling her mom because if you understand, this is going to be Jesus' inauguration as the son of God in front of the public. And so I've done everything mom and dad has asked me to do, but now I have to demonstrate I'm under the father's authority, my heavenly father. And so instead of mom, it's not my time. You're momming me. He's saying lady right here. So it is respectful. I just want to get that point across. And it goes on to say, my hour has not yet come. Let me just stop and say this. You got to know what hour you're in. You got to know what time it is. You cannot live your Christian life like you're in 2019, 2020. You and what this season requires of you is you understand the time in which God is emerging us out into. This is going to be an outpouring season. This is going to be a new wine season. This is going to be a season that's going to be unforgiving to those that are clutching old wine moments and aren't ready to embrace new wine outpouring. To be caught with an old wine skin means you won't be ready for an outpouring that God is going to. So you got to know what hour it is. His mother said to the servant, whatever he says to you, do it. Now they were set there, six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to him, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to him, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, which implies the water became wine as they took it to him as opposed to the water being made wine before it ever got to him, right? Okay, I hope you got that. All right. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. These are the beginnings of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. I came up and I saw an unleashed Holy Ghost when I gave my life to Christ. I saw the power of God hit services in such a way that it raised my expectancy. And us college students that we were at this college, we would run over to this church even on Sunday night. That was back when you're doing Sunday morning and Sunday night. We would come back Sunday night because we, did, we had no idea what we would see, but we knew we'd see God. We knew someone would be delivered, somebody would be healed, someone would get overwhelmed by the power of God. Man, it, we knew that God had the best show. They did, what God was going to do on a Sunday night, we were going to get staying at home. We didn't have no Netflix, but whatever was on right now, we weren't going to get that. And I'm jealous that you and I fight for a reference point for the emerging generation to see a full throttle, 100% proof Christianity. I'm jealous for a generation to see a church that doesn't look like it's man-made, but God-made. It doesn't simply reflect men's nature, but God's nature. 
that there would be a group of people that would come out and they would see what does God intend when he gathers his people together, the church, the ecclesia. And I think this is so important. To understand this miracle is to understand the backdrop. Here is the backdrop. It says this, John wrote of seven signs, although Jesus did approximately 40 miracles, John concentrates this gospel writer on seven of them, and the first he calls them signs, as if to say it isn't just a miracle, but the miracle is pointing to something even bigger than the immediate need that gets met. And so he says, this is the beginning of the signs that Jesus did, and it says he revealed his glory and his disciples believed. What's interesting, because they were disciples, so they had to believe before this, But John said, after the glory, they believed. But we all have had that next come to Jesus moment. You know, you first made a commitment to God, but then you see the power and the majesty. You have an eye-opening moment to where you see the glory enter the house. And it's like, whoa, I need to put my whole heart on the altar. This is the all-in chip coming in, Jesus. I'm completely selling out. I don't have a plan B. I don't have something else I'm going to do once I get bored with you. It's all or nothing, Jesus. And this is so important. I have to admit to you that I believe as good as Church 1132 or any church that anyone could go to in this hour, I have to believe that our current level of church experience is still somewhat less of what God intends to give us. It's another way of saying this isn't as good as it's going to get. It's going to get better than this. Come on. There's something in me that's not yet what it will be. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. There's something in me that's not yet what it will be, and that awakens a pursuit. But why is that pursuit awakened? Let's look at this. The backdrop of this miracle is there's been 450 years since there's been a miracle done on planet Earth, according to the experts, the scholars. They say the last miracle was when God shut the mouths of the lion in Daniel of the lion's den, 450 years later, now we're going to see water turn to wine. Isn't this an interesting, right, miracle to break the retirement period, right? Michael Jordan came back. Y'all don't remember that, y'all. Somebody, okay, okay. This, this is, you would think, right, raise the dead, someone that couldn't walk, they get up and walk, but you're going to turn water to wine, and you do it at a wedding. Let me stop and say this. The miracle at a wedding, I believe, prophetically speaks to us. This whole scene is a sign, and you got to understand Jesus is inviting and took them to a wedding, not on a date. Jesus, come on, some of y'all are going to get that a little bit later. Jesus isn't interested in dating you. He wants wedding-level commitment. He doesn't want a fling. He wants a ring. The understanding that I am my beloved, I'm betrothed to Jesus, to understand that God gets my heart. He wants covenant not an occasional Sunday connection. Come on, somebody. I say that because many believers, they they make it to the meeting, but they never make it to the wedding. They make it to a worship service, but they never make it to the connection of the heart of Father God. They make it to the prayer meeting, but they never make it to understanding what is on the mind of Christ for them and understanding their identity that, yes, He is our God, but also there is an element of affection, of love, of adoration. I believe the new wine represents partially 
a fierce and determined spirituality that's based in divine romance. It's based in understanding, Jesus, you saved me. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're awesome. And if no one is around, I still love you enough that I'm going to live a set-apart life. If nobody else prays you and there's no instrument, I'll praise you in the shower. I'll make a joyful noise. Come on, somebody. I don't have to have the best worship CD on and Brandon Lake or whoever. I'll sing by myself. I got a song in my spirit because I'm singing to the lover of my soul. I need some people to understand without the romance, I know that's weird for some, without the romance factor of understanding how much God loves you and an awakened love back for him, ultimately you're going to end up in performance at the end of the day. Some point in time, you're going to do things out of a due diligence, out of a guilt, out of you felt obligated to do it. But how many of you know, lovers outwork workers. When you're in love, come on, somebody. Yes, God wants to take you from a Christianity of religious rituals to a holy obsession. He doesn't want speed dating. He wants an eternal dress rehearsal. Now, why is this important? John 2 is not only a picture of a wedding where he made wine, but if you read a little bit further, he made a whip. So John 2, and I believe this prophetically speaks to where we're at in the body of Christ. I believe Jesus has been making a whip and he's making wine simultaneously. Some people see the Jesus making a whip, but they don't see Jesus making a wine. And some people say Jesus making wine, not a whip. Now, this would be a good point to stop. When I'm referring to wine, obviously here, we'll talk about this in a moment. But I'm not talking about the intoxicated drink like Jose Cuervo. Is that what that's called, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an intoxication that comes from being filled with the Spirit of God where you get his joy on you. I have a sneaking suspicion that obviously alcohol came into picture after the fall of man. It was a sorry watered-down substitute for what you lacked in the area of intimacy and joy and blessing. So the best thing the world could give you is to kill a couple brain cells and get you super drunk over here when, in fact, you should be coming out of the upper room drunk in the Holy Ghost. Overdose, come on, on Jesus' juice. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Jesus made a whip. I think an element of that is God is bringing correction. He made a whip and he drove marketing out of the church. I believe we're seeing marketing to a certain extent. I, I get, I, I understand. I got an Instagram account. I'm telling people we got a conference. That's not what I'm talking about. But the mindset of marketing a gospel. So after a while, you have to make the gospel marketable, right? Because you begin trying to market the gospel, but you end up with a marketed gospel. You've neutered it. You've watered it down. They're in there with other agendas. They're in there selling and buying stuff. They're caught up in the business factor. And Jesus says, no, this has got to be a house of prayer. This has got to be a house of connection. He makes a whip, whips him out of the temple, and ironically, a chapter later, signs and wonders break out because when Jesus makes a whip, it's not long after that where he makes some wonders. Come on, somebody. But I think we look at America and we look at that, and let me tell you what. Jesus made a whip. And I'm not just talking about the Epsteins and Weinsteins. That would be Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, or different spiritual leaders that actually have preached in pulpits, but they were living a double life. I'm telling you what, Jesus is making a whip. He's exposing that stuff. 
And I don't delight in telling you that. I, I play sports coming up. If one of my teammates went down, Steph Curry hurt his knee last night. I'm like, oh, my God, Lord, I pray for Steph. Help him, right? Go to State Warriors fan. I, I have had teammates have gone down. I don't delight in that. We all ache. So when I see men or women of God that fall into immorality, or I guess you make a choice, you don't fall, I, my heart aches for that. I, I'm, I'm pulling for your comeback. Come on, get your rehab in, bro. We can't wait to get you back on the court again. That ought to be our heart. But understand something. It's not just about the Epsteins and Weinsteins. Judgment is going to hit the house of God. So what does it do for me? When I know Jesus is making a whip and wine, I've got to look in my life and say, God, what areas of my life aren't ready for an outpouring? What areas am I? It puts the awe of God in me. It puts the fear of God in my heart that I want to live this thing right. I want to, I want to do it before the Lord right. I want to do it for you and my kids and my future and my kids' kids someday. But I want to do it ultimately for the Lord. You got to know what hour this is. This isn't an hour to play. This isn't an hour to stray. This is an hour to begin to take assessment and say, Lord, what areas of my life need to be shored up? Because an outpouring looks for weak points. If you got a weak point in the, in the wineskin, it bursts at that point. I've got to check the errors of my heart and say, God, am I shored up and ready for revival? Come on, somebody. Because you're about to go from a golf cart ride to a roller coaster ride. So stuff got to be tightened up a little bit different, right? I mean, you're on a golf cart. You're going to be a screw loose. But you're on a roller coaster. We're not talking about a little your wheel fall. We're talking about fatalities here. And he not only flipped the tables, he flipped the flow because he made whip a whip, listen to me, to stop religious violations. He made a whip to stop religious violations, but he's making wine to jumpstart corporate celebrations. I believe this next revival will be a revival of joy. In fact, I've, God spoke to me about that. I'm, I'm not trying to take credit for it. I'm just telling you. I have a conviction over this thing, and I love, we were talking a little bit with Dustin, there's been revivals of travail, revivals of warfare, and we're always going to have to battle, okay? But I believe this next revival is going to be one of joy. I think what we, what wine, by the way, what, what does wine represent? In, in a biblical metaphor, it represents joy. For a, a wedding to run out of wine mean it ran out of joy. I think the church of North America lost her joy someplace. I don't know, maybe it was all the fear that took place because I believe the devil just started backing up dump trucks of fear during the whole pandemic. He started back truck, backing up dump trucks of offense. Fear, hordes of fear and offense have flooded the body of Christ. And in the midst of it, our joy levels begin to diminish because we're fighting. We're kind of like trying to deal with this. And let me just say to you, you got to get your joy back. Joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. The devil's afraid of your joy. You got joy. Joyful Christians are content. Joyful Christians are bold. Joyful Christians feel the happiness of the Lord. I dance around. I jump up and down, right? Because the joy of the Lord becomes my energy. I'm not dragging. I'm not have the idiot light of low fuel going on because the joy of the Lord fills my tank. This is going to be a time. Heaven is restoring, I believe, godly firepower to the body of Christ, and it's going to look like joy. Somebody touch somebody, say joy, 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 joy. I built a case for it last service, but simply say, I felt like the Lord took me to Hezekiah. He's in Old Testament. I believe he's in the book of Chronicles. His revival, they celebrated the Passover seven days. It says joy came. They extended it seven more days. So a celebration should have been a seven day, became a 14 day. And my point is, 
joy causes you to extend. I believe, I prophesy, they're going to be extended church services. Come on. They're going to be extended prayer meetings. They're going to be extended worship service. They're going to be extended altar calls. Come on. There's going to be extended home groups. Come on. There's going to be extended times of your prayer life, your time in the Word. You normally just put in a quick 15 minutes or whatever. Now it's like, no, this is so good. I'm getting so much joy. I got to extend this time of my devotional life. Joy, what, what you've tried to do by sheer discipline and will will shift when you get some joy on you. Oh, and I believe that the lack of joy, some of North American Christianity shifted into entertainment Christianity. God's going to deliver us out of entertainment Christianity. Come on, somebody. A demon-possessed culture needs a church filled with joy and the Holy Ghost to cast out devils. A society filled with unimaginable addictions needs a church that has the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the fire of God on upfront display. Now, wine at a Jewish wedding. It says he ran out of wine. Like, first of all, you got to understand, their water wasn't like Evian, Fiji, Fuji, whatever the type of water you may drink, right? It was bad water. So they were more prone to drink wine. Their fermentation processes was different then, but I'm not going to lie. You could get a buzz if you drank enough of that stuff, okay? So I'm not trying to put it in that category. But a wine at the wedding is different now. Now, first of all, when you had a wedding, we just officiated a wedding you know, maybe your average wedding, you count the ceremony, you count the reception. Maybe you're talking about four or five hours max, right? Their weddings were a week long, sometimes two weeks. We have invites. Like, we invite certain people to the wedding and a smaller group, typically, to our reception, right? We're going to feed the people that we really love and we're really connected to because it's so expensive to feed you at 20 bucks a plate. We ain't going to feed everybody, right? Well, in Jesus' day, Cana, they said the population was 300 people. Conceivably, all 300 people could show up at a wedding, whether they felt like they knew you or not, because they're in a city that was just Jewish. And Jewish was, their, their culture, particularly this time, was very much a shame-based culture, a shame and honor. Let me, let me bring both sides, shame and honor. So, you honored the people by showing up, and they would bring you a gift. But if you ran out of food or wine, they could take their gift back, and you had shame on you because you would host an event and not have enough wine for the people there. So it was not only an embarrassment, it was also a bad omen that there was a, a, a lack of blessing on your... So in other words, the wine ran out, your blessing ran out. It meant your marriage wouldn't be good. The, 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 the groom was in charge of paying for all that, right? So the groom side of the family, although today it would be the bride's dad, it c- covers all that. They would have a fallout between the families because you embarrass now her side of the family. So they would go straight Hatfield and McCoys on you. Y'all don't know that. Uh, Biggie Tupac. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm trying to get closer, right? They, it, it was all war, and they could sue you. So you would be embarrassed, shame, and in litigation if you ran out of wine. But it still doesn't fully connect as to why God... Jesus, you would, God in heaven, you would get back in the, not that he ever stopped being miraculous in his nature, but demonstrating that miraculous, you would take this moment to break all of that, and let me, let me break it down why. Now, first of all, you got to love Mary. Mary's the mother of Jesus. She's only mentioned twice in the book of John, right here and then at the cross. Mary comes up, and I believe we need this Mary honesty. Mary came up to Jesus and said, uh, son, they run out of wine. Would, would to God we would be that? Because I believe all revivals begin with becoming that real. 
you have to first assess before you can access. Like, you don't know there's more until sometimes you get the merry nudge. Sometimes the Holy Spirit begins to nudge you and say, hey, you've had a good walk or you've had some struggles and you think this is the height of the Christian experience, but the Holy Spirit comes to nudge you and say, no, 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 you got a wine deficiency going on. There's still more if you will come to Jesus. He'll fill you up. I hope in your inner circle you got some Marys that it tell you, you know, I, 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 you look like you're, you're like a little afraid right now. Look like you're temper, you know, you look like you're kind of getting close to falling back into an old pattern. Do you have some Marys in your life? People go through wineless Christian experiences because they don't have a Mary in their life that will be honest with them. I want some Marys in my life, right? I don't, I got, I, everybody needs some folks that to cheer you on, but come on. I'd rather have a, a, a Mary than an attaboy. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? So here it is. She says they've run out of wine. There was a commercial in the Super Bowl some years ago. You may not remember this, or you might. It was some, some years ago. And I love Super Bowls for the game, the competition, halftime show, depending on who's performing. Some of them are not that good, right? But because of the commercials, it's my favorite. Because billions of dollars are spent by professional people that study where America is at and what they feel will be the connection point. It's like the paid, unsaved sons of Issachar discerning times and telling us where the general American public is, and that's how I view it. So here's this beer commercial, and it's raining outside, and this guy who happens to be the center individual in this commercial, he runs out, and he's standing in the rain, but he looks like he's kind of disappointed, disheveled. He looks like he's just bumming in life, and a little bit of the rain touches his lip, and he tastes it. And then he, like, lightens up. His countenance brightens. And then he runs, and he sticks his tongue out. He's trying to catch all the rain. Then all of a sudden, we find out, why are you doing this? And all of a sudden, he says, it's raining beer. And then somebody else, they run out. Then some dude gets a big old bucket, right? And there's, like, rain runoff from a gutter. He's trying to catch it. And he's, like, looking around like he's stealing something, right? And people are running around in a frenzy. And then the guy who's the centerpiece of the commercial runs into a tavern because he wants to be the one to announce to everyone, y'all are in here. You need to be out there. It's raining beer. But then he sees, like, somebody pouring off a tap, 100% proof, whatever the beer is. And a dude gets the mug slid to him. And then the guy gets this sheepish look, the star of the commercial, and he looks stupid, and then it comes back with whatever the jingle is. But the whole commercial is, you've gone so long without drinking 100% proof as to think the watered-down version is as good as it gets. I wonder if the North American church, we've had a watered-down, diluted Christian experience. We've had a diluted gospel to the point we run out and it's so religiously mixed with the wine, the water I'm speaking now, I'm referring to as religion. There's so much religion in our drink that we think it's the height of where it's at. And the moral of the story is this, of the commercial. Substitutes can alter your taste. I believe God is going to get us back to a new wine taste in the church. Well, we're going to stop and say, no, we don't want none of them cheap wine substitutes. Come on, somebody. I believe that what God is pouring out will give you a taste for the more. And if you taste something that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth and you don't want any more of Jesus, let me be the first to tell you, you need to run up in Church 11 in a tavern where they got on tap a real 100% proof, and then you begin to discover that out there isn't what they're pouring in here. Come on, somebody. Ooh, man. 
wedding has got to get his wine back. You ever visited a church and think it's nothing but a wineless wedding? You ever think that? You got it, you got it all programmed out. You got, you got this song, and I get it. We, we got our song list. That's not what I'm talking about. But I've, I've been in it where they'll do the quick songs, the quick this, the quick that, and the quick this. And there's never a point where you hesitate and you stop and you say, Holy Spirit, what's going on? And I feel like the reason why is that our, our, our wine has run out because of the wine hadn't run out, we wouldn't be doing that. Their churches and believe, you ever been around believers and you go, you just believe some Jesus juice. You just, you just wish you had it in a bottle and just stick it in their mouth. Like you too bitter, you too offended, you too, you too petty. Come on, somebody, get some Jesus. You know, you just want to give somebody an opportunity. And Mary said the, the wine had run out. And so all of a sudden, they're not through their week. They obviously got a lot of time left and they're wondering, at this point, you look at it, and what your head does if you're at this wedding is you see the worst-case scenario. But see, what you need to understand is God is the master of alternate endings. I'm convinced right now the media wants you to know that the emerging generation is the most agnostic, atheist, androgynous, most hurt and bitter towards church, most, uh, uh, you know, they've been most let down and all these things. And let me just say that none of that matters the moment they taste of the genuine, true outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When that happens, you will have a new Jesus people movement. When that happens, you're going to have folks more on fire than the generation that predated them. Hey, you ain't seen nothing till you see a Gen Z get filled with the Holy Ghost and get ignited with God and tasted the new wine of the spirit. You're talking about a soldier. That's what we used to call it. Yeah, that brother's a soldier right there, right? The wine is run out. When the wine is run out, you got celebrities. You don't have soldiers. When the wine runs out, you, you, you entertain the audience, but you don't have an army. When the wine runs out, you're more concerned about entertaining people than equipping them. When the wine runs out, you don't let folks know there's an absolute literal devil. There's a real certain hell. There's a hell, H-E-L, a need for a savior. And there is and must be a call to repentance. But if you don't have wine, you're afraid to do that because you, they, they, may, they may get mad. They may, no, no, not if you're pouring out real wine in the house, not if you really have an atmosphere of Jesus in the house. Come on, I need some more help from somebody. I got up, stayed on a plane till wee hours in the morning. <laughs> Chairs being filled can't be more important than people being filled. And I'm all for filling the house. But I'm telling you what, I'm not, I'm not okay with a brand of Christianity that has more people in the room but less Holy Ghost in the room. I'd rather have most, more Holy Ghost in the room, and, and stick with me, less butts, okay? Because at the end of the day, I think we'll get more butts in the seat if we have more Holy Spirit. And this is what Mary's saying. They ran out of wine. And I think this next revival, sometimes you got to run out of something in order to run into something. And this is so important. What Jesus, what did Mary do, okay? I love this. And I just want to slow down. I want you to get this. Jesus had already told his mother, it's not my time. So if you're, you're in real time, you're, you're there, you're thinking, oh, it ain't going to be no miracle here. Right? He just got finished saying, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my time. My hour has not yet come. But then Mary, after she says they run out of wine and Jesus gives her a response, Mary goes to the disciples and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. 
I read all these commentators. I was telling Pastor Dusty. I read all these commentators. I went Logos Bible Software. I put all my old school dusty commentaries that even the parchment is yellow. I mean, I pulled out Cunningham Geike hours with the Bible. I pulled it all. None of them had the answer that I felt. And all of a sudden, I said, I'm just going to get still before the Lord. Lord, show me something. And it's like all of a sudden, you ever had that moment where all of a sudden, Cameron, something in Scripture jumps out. And it jumped out that right after Jesus says to Mary, woman, what does it have to do with me? It's not my hour. My hour is not yet come. It's not my time. Mary, you would have thought when it went, oh, man, come on, Jesus. I can't believe you would let our brother. No, she immediately goes to people and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know what that tells me? Amen. Even the Bible, the baby shot me down. That tells me that expectancy speeds up heaven's timeline. It's not my hour, but when expectancy, maybe revival is supposed to come in 2024, but if we get some folks expected. W.J. Seymour, a one-eyed black man that was a catalyst for the Zeus Street revival, prophesied 100 years after Zeus Street, there would come a greater than the Zeus Street. We've eclipsed that 100 years. Healing revivalist Smith Wigglesworth wept over Lester Summeron. As he wept over him, says, He's weeping and praying for him. He says, you will see the beginning of the greatest last day's harvest and revival. You will see that Lester Summerall is going to be with the Lord. We've passed that. Sean, what are you trying to tell us? Watch this. I believe just as timelines could be sped up, I believe timelines can be delayed for lack of expectancy. I think what brings it about is what she said, whatever he tells you to do it, obedience and expectancy. Lord, deliver me from unexpected people, non-expected folks. Give me somebody got faith. I, 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 I've got a, a degree. I've got a master's in ministry. I've been around theologians, and I've been around some great ones. But I've also been around the other type, and if not, you can catch them on YouTube, right? Let me just say, I would not, not in terms of their lives, in terms of their influence in my life, I would trade all you theologians for one grandma that got some expectation that will slap some anointing oil on my head and pray cancer out of my body because your dry stuff has no expectancy on it. And I believe you can be both. I believe you can be both. But I need some folks. I want to be with people. I want to run with a group of people that got some expectancy on them. I'm not just expecting to have you get me out at 12 noon. I'm expecting an outpouring. I'm expecting a deliverance. I'm expecting somebody to get saved. I'm bringing my friends. I believe you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo. Come on. Yes. The first step to revival is recognition. Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century theologian and philosopher, follower of God, he said, Christ turned water into wine. This is Soren Kierkegaard. He says, but the church has succeeded in doing something even more difficult. It has turned wine into water. And I'm thinking, we got to do something different, right? Your frustration, my frustration is tailor-made by God for your promotion, for your maturity. Let me say that again. Your frustration is tailor-made by God to improve your maturity. I'm talking to some people. I feel it. You're frustrated. But I, I'm telling you, frustration your friend. Because frustration says you know there's a place in God that's higher and deeper than where you're at. 
and the gap between where you're at and where you want to be is a frustration. That frustration can be a fuel if you'll let it be a fuel. And that's the challenge, I believe, of this generation. I'm not picking on the age group. I'm talking about people on the earth right now. When frustration comes, they peace out. They, they, I'm frustrated. No, no, no. You don't realize that ought to be a gift to further you in your walk, to push beyond those obstacles. You don't think Mary was frustrated. And so Jesus tells the guys, right? He said, go get some water. Now there's six pots. I think I'm still, yep, I'm still doing good on time, right? There's six pots, 20 to 30 gallons, so there's two doors, perfect. So imagine three pots at this door, three pots at that door. There was Jewish purification water, 180 gallons worth. It, for our purposes, it was Purell hand sanitizer. Somehow they ran out of wine and Jesus says, go get water. Then that, no, 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 Jesus, we don't need water. We need wine. Sometimes the first thing God asks you to do as a part of your miracle won't even make sense to you. But if you won't do it, you'll never get to what God can do. Because God wants you to move in the natural, then he'll put the super on your natural. I don't see God blessing passivity. I don't see God blessing a kickback, sit back, sit sofa saint mentality. There's more to the Christian experience than just sitting on your sofa drinking a latte and thinking that's the maximizing of your Christian experience. No, friend. And I can just see it. These dudes got to go get water. And I mean, you know, they don't have a big old bucket truck to load it. They got to keep doing movements to go out and get the water. And I'm telling you what, I see men of God, I see women of God, I see leaders, and I go, you're getting an audience, you're getting a crowd, but you should be getting water. You're getting petty, you're getting even, but you should be getting water. You're getting likes, you're getting followers, but you should be getting water. I, I believe the water is my devotional life. I believe the water is my quiet time with the Lord. I believe my water, you'll never see my water. That head waiter that would drink the wine never saw them getting the water. The water is what you do when no one's looking. The water is what you do in the secret place. The water is how you walk out when no one will applaud you, no one will give you an attaboy. You just know obedience told you to go get water. We need some folks that will get some water. Come on. They go get water and they bring it and they fill the pots. Here's what I love, right? If they the only Cameron filled the pot about a fifth, right? That's all the wine they would have got. You realize that, right? He turned what they brought to him into that much wine. So when Jesus got done, they had 180 gallons of wine. All them people weren't going to drink that wine. They had wine for days in Cana. They had a wine. They still got a wine shop in Cana. It's true. Just I've been there. First wine shop, right? It's, actually, it's funny, right? You'll market anything today. All right. So these guys are told to bring this to the head waiter. But if you read the narrative of Scripture, it says that the head waiter, because he has to test it before he gives it and puts it out on the wedding, you know, table. They're bringing water. Can you imagine these dudes walking with water? Thinking, we're going to be embarrassed, man. This dude is going to laugh us off the planet that we're actually, it's going to make it worse on everyone around us. But somehow in the dipping out of the pot and the walk over to the head waiter wine bibber, this becomes the best wine the dude ever tasted. The guy even says, we read it, and, and I'm, I'm happy by heads in a moment. The guy even says, most folks, I'm, I'm, I'm modernizing, most folks 
serve the Napa Valley 2008 wine to begin with and end up with Boone's Farm. Come on, somebody. But you ended up with the best wine. And if you look in the original, it is the highest phrase. In other words, he said, this is the best wine I ever tasted. So, oh, I want to give you this phrase because I got to say it the way I put it down because they're going to put it up on the uh, thing for me. And uh, this is the phrase. This wedding won't end on bad wine. I don't care what you read in the newspapers. I don't care what they're reporting to you on that podcast. I don't care what they're saying about modern North American Christianity. I came all the way from California to tell you this wedding ain't going to end on bad wine. This wedding is going to end with the best wine, the best outpouring, the best harvest, the best miracles, the best conversions, the best services. Because this is Jesus setting in motion his sign that would point to something that's coming. Oh, that's why you don't want to fake fullness. The only thing worse than not having wine is to fake fullness. We don't need no more full fullness Christians. No more full full as in full leather, right? I'm not bagging. I got some full leather products, okay? We don't need no more full fullness followers. We need people that will humble themselves and say, God, I ran out of wine in this area of my life. I got to get filled today. I know I speak in a heavenly language, but God, I got areas in my life. Lord, I'm struggling right now. I'm just going to be honest. I feel like Texas. I, last night, to say the Lord woke me up may not be accurate because I don't know that I really got to sleep last night. But here's what I felt the Lord said. Without new wine, Texas, you're either going to go into a ditch of performance or the ditch of a pattern. If Christianity was a show, no one could do it better than, than Texas and no one could do it better than the Dallas Metroplex because there's so much performance that could go on that we just, oh my God, they're talented, they're good, they're that, and that's awesome. But it doesn't mean as much if they're not anointed. If it isn't, hey, I'm telling you what, give me somebody that may not have a four-chair turn on the voice. You know, give me somebody that may only get a one-chair turn, but they got the anointing on their life. They're living right. Sir, you know how to work a crowd, but you don't know how to become the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. The other ditch is patterns that we can copy models of what other folks are doing, and they're good models. Trust me. But you don't want to be busy copying the model of another church if it's an old wineskin and God's only going to pour. Here is the phrase, and we will pray. The Lord spoke to me clearly. Like, when I say clearly, I mean clearly. The Lord spoke to me. He says, I will not pour post-COVID new wine in a pre-COVID old wineskin. What God's going to do is different than what we've seen before. So your walk of the past, what you've seen in the past is awesome. But we're not just talking about wine. We're talking about new wine in a new season. You got to know the hour you're in. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, Lord, we just thank you, God. All across this place, the Spirit of God is here. And the Lord, you're speaking to people. And I want to do this part quick as my wife comes up because we just want to minister a little bit. First of all, I want to begin with this statement. Next service, Pastor Dustin begins at what time? Oh, 11. Okay, so we're great on time. Awesome. I just want to say this, first of all. This miracle is a miracle of conversion. Right? Jesus took dirty Jewish purification water and made it the best wine a wine expert had ever tasted in their life. 
it speaks of the power of God to convert something. I'm here right now because of God's power to convert. That he could take someone who was so, and I don't need to rehash it all, but I was immoral. I was orphan spirit, at least, orphan spirit. My dad was murdered when I was nine years old. I was raised by alcoholic. We can go on and on and on. I, I tell people I got a three-part Maury Povich episode testimony, right? But none of that matters the moment that January 19th of that particular year occurred and I fell upon an altar and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the power of God to convert. What has been the bad experience? What has been the staining factor? What was that family secret no one wants to talk about that forever stains and shames your life? With all sensitivity to that level of stuff, because that stuff's in my family, in my family closet, the power of God to convert that you bring dirty water to him and God turns it in the best. You bring a life of shameful past and he turns it in the best thing that could, that unbeknownst to you can bless so many different people. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now, you're not right with God. The one thing I learned from this passage, Jesus has the power to convert. The second thing, invite Jesus to your event, right? Jesus isn't there, you stuck. You need to invite Jesus to come in your heart. Without Jesus coming in the picture, you are stuck with whatever has run out in your life, the love that ran out between your mom and dad when y'all was coming up, the, the, the innocence that ran out by the moment you turned 12 and 13, that thing that ran out that, that, that literally hurt you in the relationship, whatever has run out, maybe it is a precursor to you running into the greatest outpouring blessing and reception you could ever have. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, I'm not right with God. I don't know if I were to die where I'd go. I need Jesus. I'm ready to repent. I need to give my life to Christ. Jesus loves you, and that's what would make your separation from God such a tragedy. I would get Jesus at my wedding. I would invite and believe right now. Expectancy. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray with me, man. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come to the Lord. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. If that's you, wherever you're at right now, slip your hand up right now. Slip it up. Say, Sean, pray with me. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come to the Lord. Anybody like that? I want to pray. You walked away from God. You need to walk back. Get your hand up. I want to pray for you. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? All right. All right. We got everybody saved at church conference in these previous nights. All right, Lord, anyone's watching online, we just pray that, God, that you said in your word, if we would call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. We confess with our mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, raised you from the dead, we will be saved. And so we just thank you and we praise that right now. I want you right now, and Krista, if you come with the worship team, I just want you to take a minute and just let your heart engage. And I don't want I, I want to ask that you would let your heart engage at a deeper level. It, it, it's moments like this where we can be distracted about what we're about to do next, what, what we're gonna do when we leave this room. But this could be a two, five minute, whatever it is for you moment where all of a sudden God can change. He doesn't need a lot. All he needs is for you to get water, pick it up, and man, as you begin to walk with it, God puts the super on your natural. Would you just take a moment and say, just begin to worship right now. Go ahead, team.